Welcome to the Human Flourishing Project. I'm Alex Epstein. All right, it's been two weeks. Good to be back. Uh, Today's topic is one that may seem obvious, but I think it's not obvious in practice. And so the topic today is being proactive about health. And you might think, okay, well, that's not too controversial an idea because who wants to be reactive about health? But I think it's pretty clear that in what I call our knowledge system, which I've I've talked about particularly in early episodes of this show, so the, the system that takes, part of its function is to take the best specialized knowledge and then to deliver it to us. I think our mainstream knowledge system on health issues tends to be uh, way too fo- overly reactive. So let me give a an example of this that I think is should be uncontroversial, although it's it's very blatant, which is what are the public health recommendations with regard to COVID nineteen, and what are they missing? And I've covered this in a couple of different episodes. I mentioned it uh, a little bit on the show that I did with my sister Catherine Epstein, and then I've mentioned it somewhat on my um, other podcast, Power Hour. But essentially, what you see, what there's one huge thing that is omitted from basically all of the public health recommendations on COVID-19, which is what you can proactively do um, about your immune system. And even broader than that, there's just almost no mention of the fact that a lot of people's vulnerability to COVID-19 is based on things within their control. So even if, if even if it's not something they can control in a week or change significantly in a week, uh, it's definitely something that's a consequence of their uh, behaviors. And that's just an important thing to identify. So you talk about immune compromised people. And so some people, they're just really old, but a lot of it is, and some of it is, yeah, somebody has a condition that couldn't have been averted, but a lot of it is conditions that are um, preventable. And so this, and then if we're talking about something that has a trajectory of months or even maybe even years, there are definitely ways in which you can improve the health of your uh, immune system. And more broadly, think about, okay, what, what can I do proactively to make it harder for my body to get sick or harder for my body to get really sick? And so this was an example where the there was just a a complete omission of this part of it. And I thought a, um, a reader of some of my work emailed me this week and he, he did a little write-up of it and I thought he, he had some interesting perspective. So I'll, I'll quote from uh, something he wrote that he referred me to. His name is John DeRose, D-R-O-Z, uh, and he's a, a scientist. He's not a, as he says in his document, he's not a medical uh, scientist, but he's a smart guy. And I thought he, he wrote an interesting perspective that I will... I might disagree with the nuance of it, but I'll I'll read it to you. So he says, the CDC's COVID-19 recommendations are very good, but in my opinion, do not go far enough, especially on the protection part. What most people are not aware of is that basically there are two very distinct and different ways of looking at human health, Western hours and Eastern. And I'm going to, I as Alex, I'm going to take issue with this distinction, but I think he raises good issues. He says, the Western perspective is that we address medical issues. For example, COVID-19 by identifying specific medical modalities or problems, problems in parentheses, he says, 
Uh, after that, doctors then proceed to specific pre preventatives, for example, a vaccine, and specific cures, for example, a physician-prescribed uh, medicine. And he says, by the way, a lot of this perspective is driven by pharmaceutical companies who are in the business of providing both vaccines and cures. The Eastern perspective is much more holistic. Their position is, if you are in overall good health, your body will automatically take care of most attacks on itself. Therefore, when faced with a medical issue, a physician doesn't need to know the specific problem or its cause. The initial strategy is to get your body in optimum health. In my opinion, pharmaceutical companies do not favor this perspective as maintaining good health is more oriented toward preven towards prevention, and that is not consistent with them selling potentially therapeutic medication, which is the vast majority of their business. A key part of the Eastern perspective on overall good health is to focus on a person's immune system, which is our best and first line of defense against almost any illness. And then he says a bunch of other stuff, and then his uh, his ending... He says, when faced with COVID-19, a Western medical expert would say we need to do multiple double-blind clinical studies and then have extensive public comment before making any official recommendations. An Eastern medical expert would say we need to start by immediately optimizing the immune system of citizens. And three, an independent medical expert would say we should combine the best of both the Eastern and Western perspectives. So if you want to read that, if you search the guy's name, it's John DeRose, D-R-O-Z, and this is... Uh, this document is like COVID-19 response. Now, interestingly, his, his last name is D-R-O-Z, and that maps clo quite closely with Dr. Oz, um, but I think if you type it in, you'll get this guy's stuff in particular. So I thought this is a good laying out of this in the Western versus Eastern terms, which I think is, th those are very problematic uh, categories, but it, they I think there is really somewhat of that split. I think it's easy to caricature quote unquote Western uh, that way. And I, I don't want to be guilty of that. But I do think that among, you know, medical thinking, like the medical knowledge system, there is definitely too much of a focus on reaction or at least to the exclusion of proactive um, activities one can take. I think this is definitely the case with COVID-19 where, I mean, I've, I've commented on just how absurd I think it is that people are being encouraged to do things that are bad for their overall health in terms of staying inside all the time, not exposing themselves to sunlight. But it's part of this view that, oh, well, what we do, you know, what we do with health is like, we can do whatever the hell we want to our bodies and, you know, physically and then also mentally. And I'll talk about that. Uh, and then just health me you know the, the the then in terms of healthcare then we just get you know things come up and then we get cures to fix them and then we just keep doing exactly what we're doing so it's this is it can be a caricature but there is something to the way we've been trained to operate because you, you we do have this phenomenon where it's widely acknowledged for instance Americans have very bad eating habits uh, from a health perspective. Now, if, you want, if, you're if you're doing that consciously and you're saying, look, I get enough enjoyment out of food where it's okay to me if I live shorter, I have all these chronic conditions, like, okay, that's a plausible thing uh, to some extent. But I think it's more that health is just considered something that uh, is going to be provided by some external source and that the, the main job is for just uh, saviors to react to problems that just seem seemingly come out of um, nowhere. So I think in general, there is when problems arise, there can be too much of a tendency to um, to to ignore the things that are proactively 
under one's control. So one reason this has come to my mind recently is I'm going to be a little bit discreet about this, but I had a certain uh, medical problem, not life-threatening at all, but it was something that I was concerned about. And I had a doctor, and I think the doctor was unusually good in saying, hey, look, there are these options. Like there's a medication you can take. There's a kind of surgery you can do, but you can also try a certain kind of physical therapy. And so I'm like, okay, well, I want to, and, and five years ago, I might've had a different view or 10 years ago, I might've thought like, oh, I'll just do the medication. But I'm more and more aware that, oh, okay, medications have different kinds of side effects and the mechanisms of them are not these like incredibly precise things all the time. And so all things being equal, I'd rather proactively deal with underlying causes then just add this to the mix. And then am I going to be doing this indefinitely? And how's that going to interact with other things? So I, I decided to do the therapy. And as soon as I started doing the therapy and I talked to the, the physical therapist involved, it was like, oh my gosh, this is obviously the right way to do it. The, the physical therapist just had such an understanding of the issue and they could give me recommendations that were much more proactive and that could make an immediate difference. And I just thought, yeah, this is, this is the way to go. I wish, I, I mean, I'm glad I had a doctor who, who recommended this. Uh, but I think a lot of people are just, just with my experience with different doctors, it's often that, oh no, just like, yeah, just take this medication, just do this surgery and really not be aware of what's proactively um, under your control. Now, there are a lot of tricky things with figuring out what is proactively good. And I think this is one reason why there's more of a quote, Western focus on reactive stuff. I think it's easier to validate that, okay, there's this specific problem and then this specific intervention will make it better for some percentage of people. Like you can isolate that, I think more than you can isolate, for example, oh, this nutritional regimen will have a bunch of broad uh, positive health impacts or this exercise regimen or this uh, breathing regimen. And then there are all, all, all the, or even maybe stretching uh, can do it. But I think breathing, I want to, I want to focus on because I've become particularly interested in that uh, lately. And another thing would be stress reduction in terms of just changing one's life to lessen the amount of, of, of stress. So it's something where it can be hard to know exactly what's the best thing to do. And then there are reasons why there's not as much of a financial incentive to figure out the proactive things. But in any case, I think we have a situation where it's, it's very clear that there's a lot of proactive, you do have a lot of proactive control over your health. And I think nutrition is one example, but there are others. And one I've become really interested in lately, which has come, which I think comes up in a lot of kinds of physical therapy, but has also come up more broadly, is breathing and thinking about how the way we breathe affects different kinds of things and what we can deliberately do to improve the way that we breathe. And this is something where you just, this just almost has there. I, I've known vaguely, okay, there are people who make claims about this. There are certain times when like, I'll think about it. Yeah, I'm not quite happy with the way I breathe, but I n- never really looked into it. And then this week, so this is a, a, a fresh thing, but this week I saw uh, a friend of mine basically was connected to this guy named Wim Hof. So there's something called the Wim Hof method, which some of you might know about. The Wim Hof is a really interesting guy. He's a He's known as the Iceman, and he's performed a lot of amazing feats in cold, like like running a marathon in well below freezing temperatures with shorts uh, and I think no t-shirt. I mean, it's just um, if you look him up, just what he's done and 
where it's been validated. There's all sorts of, uh, of stuff that he's involved with, but the core of, of both his ability to deal with cold and other health benefits he claims is, is breathing. So he has a tutorial on YouTube, which if you just look up Wim Hof breathing, there's an introductory video and then there's a guided breathing thing. So I'm very experimental when something is low cost to experiment with. So I decided, okay, well, I'm going to learn this method of breathing, which takes like five minutes. And then I'm going to do the exercise for 12 minutes. And part of the exercise involves you know, breathing a certain way. And then you have enough oxygen in your system where you can hold your breath a lot longer than usual. And you experience that as very calming. And so I did this and I was just immediately struck. Wow, this is a different feeling than I can ever remember having. This is a really cool feeling in terms of how calm it is. And then I noticed that, wow, this, I felt a lot of energy and it was a really easy thing to do. And then he also recommends doing it with cold showers, which I'm sort of partial to anyway, just because I like uh, cold water. So I started doing that and I, I thought, oh, this is a really promising kind of routine. I'm noticing that this both is very energizing, but also it has a calming effect on me in the moment. And then I'm also noticing at least initially later in the day. And I might think, oh, this is just placebo because it's a new thing. But during the exercise at one point, I, I held my breath in one of the sessions for over two minutes, I think two and a half minutes. I've never even been able to come close to that. So that was just its own interesting thing. And then the feeling I had doing it was something I hadn't felt before in terms of just the way one's body feels uh, doing this. By the way, as he says, do not do this underwater or while driving a car. Um, that can be dangerous. But I tried this and I just, it just really opened me up to, wow, there's, there's so much, like there has to be a lot of leverage in learning about breathing and and having better breathing. And I can just see how it's connected to all of these different things. And sometimes it might be the bad breathing comes from certain kinds of uh, psychological things, or maybe historically it came from that. But in any case, if, if we can train this, it might be able to have, uh, it, it, can, it might be able to have positive psychological effects, even if in some sense the psychological stuff came first. And I've just been, so I'm just starting off with experimenting with this type of breathing, but the broader perspective it's given me is what can I think about with regard to my health that I can do proactively that's probably going to be good for my health overall and is pretty low cost to do. A smaller thing I started doing during the uh, pandemic, just because uh, I saw a doctor recommend it, and I thought, oh, okay, I'll try this, was uh, what's called neti potting, or I use a machine called Navage, which I find very easy, N-A-V-A-G-E, and it basically involves clearing the sinuses. And I just read up on it a little bit, and it seems like it tends to decrease the duration of infections, and uh, sometimes uh, at least the duration of infections and secondary infections and makes it easier, in general, makes it easier to breathe. And so I... I was doing it and I've just in general felt good. And then I didn't do it for a day or two and I noticed, wow, it's like, oh, my breathing is really, I'm a little bit more stuffed up when I'm not doing this. And so this is something that takes, it's very cheap uh, over time and it takes two minutes a day uh, to do. And so it's, I like it as its own thing, but I also like the focus on breathing. So in my, in, you know, my current thinking about it is in terms of, okay, there's nutrition, like, what can I do in that department? I've thought more about that, and I've had episodes on that. Breathing, that's my current one. And then related to breathing is is stress. So just thinking about how much, you know, different health conditions are 
created or compounded by stress. And then really thinking, okay, proactively, what can I do to reduce stress from my life? And part of that is internal ways of handling different kinds of things. So those can be all kinds, you know, cognitive ways, breathing ways, all sorts of things, therapy. Uh, but then there's also just constructing one's life so that there's not so much stuff. And I've talked about that in previous episodes, and I've, I've definitely found that helpful. But for example, when I've been too hard on my, when I've had too aggressive deadlines on things, that has, I've noticed, wow, this is really, you know, this really has a physical uh, effect on me. And just really now being aware, this is, this is like, this is something that could shorten my life. This could contribute to certain chronic conditions. And I don't know exactly what the cause and effect is, but there's definitely something and it's something that's preventable. If, if a big part of my focus is really being proactive about health. So this is, again, this may seem like, oh, well, this is so, like, this is not an, this is such a simple thing. And I think it may fall into the category I like to think about a lot, which is simple is not the same as easy because it's, yeah, we should be proactive about our health, but there are a whole bunch of reasons why it can be difficult uh, to do that. And that's why I'm finding it helpful to just think, okay, I'm going to be more proactive about my health. And I'm in particular going to focus on nutrition, breathing, and stress. And then I'm, I'm also intrigued by stretching as another thing that's related to all of those. I think there could be a lot of potential there in the, the book, um, what is it? I think it's called Can't Hurt Me. The It's the biography of David Goggins, who's this amazing, uh, just unbelievable endurance athlete. And he talks about how a, a, um, a stretching program by a guy named, I think it's Joe Hippensteel. That's, I think that's right. Um, he just like totally transformed his body and doing some stretches for physical therapy and say, yeah, wow, there's parts of me that are really tight. I can imagine it having like broader consequences. I don't know about long-term health, but could this have good mental consequences? I can just, is stress in some way stored up? I don't know, but that's why I say this is a fourth category that I'm not as sure about, but I'm, you know, as, as I can allocate the time, it's definitely something that I want to explore and think there is is real potential there so one thing i i hope you guys listening think about is okay what are what are ways in which you can be proactive that seem like there's a good chance they'll make a positive difference and are pretty low cost to do so you may try the wim hof breathing Uh, so far i'm finding that very promising and the five or six times i've done it obviously i'll I'll see as, as time goes on, but it has the feeling of, oh yeah, this is, there's something really powerful here. And it makes sense that, that deliberately breathing in a certain way, given just how fundamental breath is to life, that could really make a big difference. I I hope this motivates you to think about your own proactivity and health. And if you have any recommendations, that you really think are excellent, and in particular, if they're low cost to try, definitely share them. You can share them with me, uh, or you can share them on the Facebook page. So that leads us to the end of the show. So if, as always, if you have any questions, comments, love mail, or hate mail, you can email me at alex at alexepstein.com. If you want to join the discussion on Facebook, go to facebook.com slash human flourishing project to get on the weekly email list. 
or sometimes bi-weekly email list, go to humanflourishingproject.com. Okay, wishing all of you a healthy, a proactively healthy set of weeks ahead, and I'll be back in two weeks. Until then, I'm Alex Epstein. This has been the Human Flourishing Project. <laughs>